you're listening to Podiatry Marketing, conversations on building a successful podiatry practice with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Welcome back to Podiatry Marketing. I'm your host, Jim McDonald, joined as always with my trusty co-host, Tyson Franklin. Tyson, how's it going today? I'm fantastic today. Big Jim, how have you been keeping? Good, good. This is uh, number 99. I can't believe uh, we're, we're, we're nearing 99. the century mark. That'll be uh, coming up pretty soon. 99. It's gone pretty fast, actually. Like one a week. It has. That's, uh, so as soon as we get to 104, that'll be like the two-year mark that we've actually been doing yep. this. So that's that has gone fast. That's a long time. I mean, I, I, I don't think I dated many other people for more than two years, right? So like, this is one of my longest, uh, <laughs> lo- this is a long-term relationship we have here, Tyson, between you uh, and me. And at most stage, it made me feel dirty, which is good. it's always good okay maybe once but other than that i won't bring that up um (laughs) so anyway we should get on to today's topic yeah so what are we going to jump into today today i'm going to talk about and i have a title written down here stop chasing low hanging fruit and this the idea of this uh came about from a webinar i actually did this webinar i did this presentation uh in 2022 in Arizona. And then after that, I did a, a webinar, which was quite successful. And then I did it again uh, towards the end of September. So I just thought the information was really good, but it's one of those topics that when people just see the title, it's not a, it's not a title that makes people want to, oh yeah, I really want to tune into that webinar. So when I did the webinar last time, I titled it, uh, what's your revenue going to be in the future? Or what's your revenue going to be in 2028? But one part of that actual webinar was stop chasing low-hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is a lot of podiatrists, when they first opening up their clinics, they just go and dive in and they, they chase the easy money. The patients that take no thought, they open up the doors, Anyone, you know, people that are chasing discounts or people that are sort of, like in Australia, we have these um, patient care plans, EPCs, covered by Medicare. They just, they're, they're just, they're prepared to take anything that is really easy work. And then sometimes they start building the whole business around really easy work. And sometimes that can be a dangerous way to build your business. Yeah, like, for example, like what some examples of it being dangerous? I know that, like you said, um, if you just really focus on it, it can be a problem. What are some of the problems it can cause? Well, well, one of the things, I reckon it's quite short-lived, mainly because someone will always be cheaper. So if you want to try and build your business by dropping your prices and, and being like a discount podiatry service, and you attract cheap patients, then those cheap patients, one, they, they won't pay for your better services, and then you wonder why you get frustrated with them. But they're constantly looking for the next person who's cheaper. So if another person comes into town and they're cheaper again, then it's sort of like a, a race to the bottom. The other part I think is funny when you're just chasing, say, just the referrals from the GPs that refer certain like government patients, is if you, if you go back and you think about, okay, you went and saw this GP, this doctor, you had a meeting with them, you seem to get on, next thing, they start referring patients to you. If you stop and think, where were they sending their patients beforehand? It, these patients had to be going somewhere. So have they? So if you, you might think you have a really stable business until the next podiatrist comes along. And when the next podiatrist comes along and has that meeting with them, because you don't think you need to have many meetings with them anymore because you're their podiatrist. No, 
the next fit, then they start referring there. And this actually happened to me with uh, a shoe a shoe store once, where I was getting a lot of referrals from the shoe store. It had nothing to do with discounting patients, though. But this is just how sometimes people will make decisions outside of what you think is normal. They stopped referring to me when I went and saw them, and I bailed them up and said, hey, guys, Peter, Paul, how come not Mary, George, George Ringo, all the rest? Path, um, Path of Magic Dragon. Yeah, I said, guys, you don't refer patients to me anymore. What, what, what's the story? And they went, oh, there's this new podiatrist in town, and she came and saw us. And went, yeah, but you've been sending patients to me. Yeah, but have you seen her? I went, oh, yeah, I know who she is. Have you seen how big her rack is? And I went, so I said, so you're telling me you're now referring your patients to her because she has big boobs. And they went, yeah. And I thought, well, at least they were honest. But sometimes those sort of things are out of control. So I think when you're just chasing low-hanging fruit, now this is going back to doctors, if you're just chasing low-hanging fruit, all it takes is another podiatrist to come in that for one reason or another is more appealing to that doctor and straight away you'll lose those patients. They just stop referring to you. Yeah, that's some solid examples there. And like you mentioned in the past, you know, if you start going for like bottom, you know, bargain basement pricing, you're really trying to kind of race to the bottom, then, you know, it really kind of reduces the amount of money you can charge or the, the kind of overall value of each patient that comes to the clinic, right? Because you're going to have to see more and more of those patients to, to increase your revenue as opposed to, you know, having kind of higher fee services or different types of treatment options that may allow you to do less less work or less care, but provide a high level of service uh, through some newer modalities or things like that. Well, give an example of people that realize they, they don't understand the numbers of their business. You might have a patient that comes in there, say for example, pays $100 for a visit, but you might have another person that uh, you discount for whatever reason and they only pay, say, $70 for the visit. So there's a $30 difference. That $30 is, if if both patients, if one's paying 70 and one's paying 100 for the same service, one, you're getting $30 more profit from every time that type of patient comes in your clinic. Then when you take all your expenses uh, on board and all that, sometimes I think some people, they're seeing patients, they're not actually making any money from them. By the time they take all their overheads, they don't realize that like a $5 discount to the patient could be a, ma could be a massive impact on your actual bottom line. So it's really important, I think, for every business owner to sit down, understand the numbers of their business. So when they are chasing low-hanging fruit and they're getting these people with a discount mindset, it's just realize you can, you can chase the easy ones by giving a discount or you can just wait a little bit longer and chase the ones that are prepared to pay you for your expertise. Long-term, you will make more money off the people and you'll have a more solid business by doing it. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the the thought that like kind of attracts like, and if you're just going after bargain basement you know, cheap patients in that way, it's going to bring more of those people into your practice most likely. But if your if your services are a little bit more on the uh, the high end, um, you may not have the, the same amount of volume with those patients initially. But you know you'll kind of get into those that network of people um, providing them good care or great care, and your your name will kind of grow amongst that patient population and. You know, as that grows, that can just multiply things as opposed to like being more uh, addition. Yeah, well, I know there was a podiatrist in Cairns many years ago and I used to do a lot of marketing for my business. I targeted certain types of patients and we were at an event one day and I remember him standing right next to me and saying to this group of doctors, unlike some podiatrists in town, I don't need to market my business. 
and he walked off. And they all looked at me and said, I think he was having a go at you. I said, oh, yeah, he was because he's a dickhead. But you move ahead 20 years and I had an absolute roaring business that I eventually sold for a good sum. And and if you now go to the Australian Registration Board and you look up his name, I'm not going to say his name, I'll just let people hunt him down, look for podiatrists in Cairns and go look through the Registration Board. And you ever look at all the things that are uh, attached to his name on the Registration Board? Yeah. Uh, he's getting dragged through the ringers at the moment because he provided substandard work because he didn't charge enough. He chased low-hanging fruit, didn't charge enough money, so therefore probably cut corners, and by cutting corners affected his podiatry work, and now he's getting reprimanded for it. And I'm yet to see a podiatrist that goes through the whole career just trying to undercut everybody, ever come out the end looking awesome. I've yet to see it. They never come out where everybody just goes, oh, that was such a good podiatrist. That it never works out that way. Yeah, there can be a high correlation between kind of what you charge and, and, the, and the kind of percep, perceived value of the care you provide, right? So it's really important not to get in that race to the bottom. Yeah, I just think it's, it's your reputation on the line. And I totally understand when you're first setting up your business, you've got bills to pay. You put a roof over your head, you've got family to feed. I totally understand when you're first starting out in business, you, you may want to see people that you probably don't want to see, but you don't have to keep dropping your prices and you don't have to keep you know, chasing those people. At some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand and go, no, I'm going to start uh, yeah, seeing patients that are prepared to pay this. And you start putting your prices up and you let some of that low-hanging fruit let it go for the next podiatrist that's actually coming through. I equate a lot to uh, the difference between uh, a professional and an amateur. The amateur is the person who keeps chasing low-hanging fruit. The professional works out that, yes, I had to do it initially, but now I've worked, I've worked my way through that. I, I can have a bit more, more of a strategy than just chasing tactics all the time, especially when it comes to marketing. And I equate it to, um, to bank robbers. Now, I'm not condoning becoming a bank robber, Jim, in case you're wondering. I hope, I hope not. <laughs> we, we will have to have a disclaimer on this podcast, I guess. But if you, if you think of bank robbers, you've got the amateur. Bang, no, no thought process. Cars just pull up at the front. Oh, we should rob a bank. They throw on their mask. They bolt through the front doors. They pull out the guns. And what do they do? They go for the cash drawers. They go for the easy money. They go for the low-hanging fruit. They won't even attempt the vault because the vault takes time, it takes planning, and they haven't put enough planning into what they're doing, and they don't have the time to be sitting in there trying to get into a vault. The professional, on the other hand, will sit back, they'll take the time, case the place, create this whole strategy on how they're going to get into the vault because they know the real money is in the vault. It's not in the cash drawers. And once they get into the vault, their only problem then is capacity. How much can they carry at any one time? That's it. It's no different to you. You have your clinic. You act professionally. You put together a strategic marketing plan on what you're going to do. And when you put that plan together, the only problem you then have is capacity. How many patients can you actually see? And do you expand? Do you start doing something else so that you can increase your capacity? But once you get one, uh, a professional will never chase low-hanging fruit because they know they don't need to. I think it's a good point. I think there's a, a lot of planning that goes into, you know, obviously when you're first getting started, you don't necessarily think of a plan, but, you know, as, as people mature in their practice or 
having a general idea about what they want to do, uh, what kind of care they like to provide, having that strategy uh, and kind of working on it on a long, over a longer period of time can be really helpful and help reduce stress and understanding what all those different options are. Maybe, for example, like one thing big in North America, at least in the U.S., is that at some point in time, people don't enjoy trimming nails anymore, yeah. like you know, the chip and clip. Uh, but what are you going to do with those when they do come? Are you going to hire an associate to kind of help you do some of those? Are you going to you know, bring on a, a nurse, nurse practitioner? Are you going to send those off to someone else uh, in your community that enjoys doing it? There's there's no right or wrong answer there um, as long as you go into it with a plan. Yeah, well, there was a, a I spoke to a podiatrist oh, only yeah, a couple of weeks ago. And he actually contacted me and said, oh, there's a podiatrist, a local podiatrist, and one of my competitors has all of a sudden sent a message out to all the other podiatrists in the area just saying, I'm no longer doing general foot care. I've got a list of yeah, so many hundreds of patients. Uh, do you mind if I start if I start pushing your way? I'm now only focusing on MSK, yeah, the biomechanics, orthotics, sports patients, weekend warriors. Now, the person that contacted me sort of was a bit taken back, like, oh, hang on, is that, is that the right, can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, I said, yeah, you can. What they've done, they've got their clinic to a point where they realize we don't have to keep doing all the work for everybody. We can now say, we already know we, and this comes back to knowing the numbers of your business. When you know the numbers of your business, you know that you can give away a certain section of it and it's not going to, you're not going to lose your house. You're not going to lose the, the clinic. So for example, and this is where the strategy comes into place. I know that, 70% of every patient that booked in with some form of foot problem, yeah, depending on the type of treatment we're going to do, would end up with, say, uh, say orthotic therapy because we did a lot of orthotics in our clinic. And if that upsets anybody, oh, you did too many orthotics, I don't care. Bugger off. Don't stop listening to the podcast. Um, no, keep listening. And, But I just knew for every 100 people that came in, 70% ended up getting orthotics. 30% either some other treatment or they didn't do anything. So out of that 70 that said they got orthotics, I'd look at where did they come from? And I'd break it down to what were the referral sources? What, how did they come into my clinic in the first place? Once I figured that out, and you keep you just reverse engineer it until you know where your patients are coming from. So you know where to put your time and effort into, where to, where to start marketing uh, your business. And, and then you just create these, these pipelines. But this is strategy what some podiatrists do they'll listen to some of these marketing companies and go hey use our one text message and we'll guarantee you 40 new patients in two days <laughs> bullshit i call bs on that that is bs unless you agree jim sorry but no it's <laughs> what they don't realize is it's not 40 brand new patients you can't you, like in australia i'm not sure about america but you cannot just send out unsolicited text messages and emails to people that you do not know. Yeah, you can't do that in the US either. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so so in Australia, it's what this com what they're telling the company is, we're going to give you some text messages and emails to send to people in your database. So they're existing patients. They're not new patients, they're existing. And we're going to get them to try and come back. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't work, but once again, it's short-lived. It's just a tactic. Do this and you get these people coming in. But they don't tell you about how long does it last, how many patients do you annoy with that with that group of messages that you're actually uh, sending out? So I know I, I I get I get the shits 
when I see marketing companies trying to convince podiatrists and other health practitioners that there's this one email or there's one yeah one text message or this there's one way of just getting these extra 40 people coming in clinic it, it's not it's not that easy no i totally agree it uh it's something that takes a long time to build up your your reputation uh and you don't want to kind of fall back into kind of cheesy tactics that really help will sometimes help erode kind of some of the trust you built over time if you're really getting super into the marketing in a way that doesn't seem like it's a win-win uh, for the patient, right? If it seems, p- patients are smart, right? So <laughs> if something feels extractive or, you know, they're people, you know, they're going to, they're going to know um, what those kind of messages are like from other sectors of their life, right? Uh, this kind of high pressure tactics. Um, not that, you know, all those, those forms of trying to get either recall patients or other things. I mean, there, there are certain ways to, uh, market in a kind of a patient-centric way that makes them understand the opportunities and the kind of skills and the uh, the treatments you provide in a in a very helpful um, non-pressure way. So, you know, like I said, anyone that kind of kind of says, "Oh, get 40 new patients or 50 new patients or 40 patients or 50 patients next month," um, be a little wary because that's more in that tactics and it's not really a long-term strategy that you want to employ. Yeah, so but there are some tactics that do get, produce really good results. I had a, an ad that it was a written ad that we used to use in a on a Saturday magazine that used to be in the newspaper many years ago. It was a really popular magazine, and this is back when people still bought the newspaper. Whenever we ran that ad, our phone rang constantly with without without a problem, without fail, and we would get. 40 or 50 patients from that over a, yeah, a six or eight week period. So there, there are certain tactics you do it, and if you do it well, it, it does work. Some Google ads just attract patients. But just trying to do one tactic like that can be very hit or miss. It's the strategy behind the tactic that is, is the important part because there's, there's no point someone just coming to you and say, hey, Jim, do me a Google ad. And you're like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For what? Well, what, what do you want? And then you go, I just, I want patience. So that, that, there's no strategy. So the thought process is going, who, yeah, what type of patient do you want? And then what sort of message are you putting? What we call the action do you want to have? There's all this thought that needs to go into it. Then you start going, what platform? Where are we going to put this? What medium are we, are we going to use? And that's, and this is still all part of the strategy. Then the tactic is then actually doing it. And, and I think the biggest part, but people miss out on where the money is lost is the patient who rings your clinic and says, yeah, I was just wondering, I've had heel pain for a while and I was wondering if you'd be able to help me. And they go, uh, yeah, not a problem. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And they go, oh, how much is it? Oh, it's say, $150. Oh, okay, well, God, let's give it some thought and I'll get back to you. Okay, bye. Lost opportunity right there. You've You've done... You Google, you've done your strategy, you've done your Google, you've done everything. This person has reached out to you, they're engaged with you, and then you've just let them go. And as part of your strategy should be when these people contact you, whether it's through your website, through on the phone, online booking, something, if they choose not to make a booking, there should be some way that you can connect with them, whether getting their email details, or their contact details, a phone number, so you can nurture them. Because you might say, hey, Jim, thanks for the call, but yeah, and then I go, oh, I'll get back to you. Oh, Jim, well, I've got you on the phone. Is there any chance? Could I grab your email? I've got some information that might be helpful that you can 
use or I can send you a door link or you can watch this video. And I start pushing you there and I stay in touch with you. The money is in the follow-up. The money's in the nurturing of these patients. And that's all part no, of the strategy. No, I couldn't agree more. I think it's one of those things where it's somewhere along that kind of like patient journey or that kind of patient interaction, you have to, you know, there's one weak link in the chain. Like you said, like you did the Google ads, you did everything to get them to call in. You have to be able to kind of offer them something to to continue that relationship or to build that trust. And if it's quickly, oh yeah, just get back to us whenever you're ready. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably never going to see that person again. So you kind of, the other actions you did beforehand, or I wouldn't say they're necessarily a waste, um, but uh, your kind of cost to acquire new patients is definitely um, on the up and up. Uh, it's going higher than you probably want. So Yeah, well, I've got a coaching client working with at the moment. I, I did up a new phone sheet for them to have on the at the reception area because they still get a lot of phone calls, don't do online bookings. And I said, how many people ring your clinic and don't make an appointment? And I went, oh, I don't know. I said, well, it's time to start measuring that. I said, because you might be doing everything right and the phone calls are coming through, but your receptionist may need training on how to actually book them in. Is she giving the correct information? I said, if you're getting a lot of calls and nobody's making appointments, I said, that's a number you need to know. And yeah. my, and and then you can try and find out what you know, what were they trying to book in for and why didn't they book in? Was it was it the costs? Was it the the times you were open? Was there some other factor? I said, this is all part of gathering information and then using that information to create a strategy to then build your practice. Like I said, right from the beginning, it's not about just chasing the low-hanging fruit. Stop chasing the easy stuff that that every podiatrist, the new, like to me, I can't believe someone that's been out 15, 20 years chases the same fruit that the person who's been out one year and sets up the business for the first time, they're chasing the same fruit, makes no sense. The experience podiatrist yeah. should have moved on. Yeah, and over time you become more business savvy. You know the kind of patients you want to see, and you need to make uh, kind of objectives to kind of go after that. And because uh, it's not going to just happen by happenstance, uh, you have yeah. to kind of plan it out and execute a strategy along the way. Yeah, to me, it's it's a sign of no maturity in business ownership. Somebody who's had a business 10, 15, 20 years, if they're still doing the same work that they did when they first opened up their doors and not a lot's changed other than just more of the easy patients and the business itself hasn't really grown and the practitioner hasn't grown, to me, that's a, it's just a sign of immaturity. They just, at some point, they need to go, I, I need to, unless they're happy doing that, I suppose. Yeah, I can't imagine many people are happy doing that, but uh, you'd be surprised, I guess. If you have 20 years later, you're still getting patients bitching and complaining about, oh, you charge too much and you're the cheapest person in town and, and you're happy with that, then you're going to end up like my buddy in Cairns who's uh, got a shit clinic and uh, and I, I, I smile every time I think of him. It's terrible. I should be that way. But he just does does bring a smile to my face. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> okay, Jim, i got nothing else to cover on this subject. Um I think people, I actually think people who listen to this podcast are the type of podiatrist that may, may be chasing low hanging fruit at the moment because they need to, but they understand at some point they've got to go a little bit higher up the tree and, uh, and not take the easy stuff. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Talk to you again next week for episode da -da 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 100. Looking forward to it, Tyson. I should uh, I'll go through my sound effects and have a good sound effect for the opening <laughs> of it. <laughs> okay, talk to you later.
Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Podiatry Marketing with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Subscribe and learn more at Podiatry Marketing. That's the website address, podiatry.marketing.